Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 34, verses 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps all their bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 through 9. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have observed all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed me in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your kindred these many days, down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord and your, of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your kindred, as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Take good care to observe the commandment and the instruction that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, and hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half Joshua had given a possession beside their fellow Israelites in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their tents and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth, and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with great quantity of clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your kindred. So the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the Israelites at Shiloh, which is in the, ha- which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had taken possession by command of the Lord through Moses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1-11 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon the pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, for that day to surprise you, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are not for you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the light of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep at night and those who are drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation. 
For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may, be, may, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, as indeed you are doing. Good morning, and welcome to the 11th Thursday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac, broadcasting from Walkersville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 34, Joshua 22, and 1 Thessalonians 5. And I just sent out uh, an email to paid subscribers at my Substack, pewpew.substack.com. I haven't really decided on a name yet if I want it to stay the Pew Pew Post or uh, for it to be the Pew Pew Crew. I don't know. Anyway, I just sent this post out, uh, this um, post for paid subscribers on the armor of God. And a lot of people have probably heard of uh, the armor of God in Ephesians 6, uh, where there's this lengthy um, you know, kind of passage about... Um, putting on the whole armor of God, and this armor includes the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, um, the shield of faith, the word of God, which is a sword, um, the belt of truth, and uh, you could maybe also count the shoes of the gospel of peace, and or the whole armor, which is uh, to stand firm uh, with God. And so there's these, one, two, three, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven articles of clothing or, or CIF issue for soldiers of God. And um, Paul uh, here, a lot of people at first glance think he's borrowing from the Roman military. And it's not actually entirely true. And I'm talking about Ephesians, despite it not being in our reading, because First Thessalonians, which is in our reading, um, is the early is an earlier mention by a more likely authentic Pauline epistle. First Thessalonians is the very first letter written in the New Testament, or first anything, um, possibly written as early as 50 A.D., so just 20 years after Jesus's death and ascension. Um, and it mentions, in verse 8, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, those are different than Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, the breastplate is different, and the helmet is, has no hope of, quote-unquote. Um, but it's clearly borrowing from that. Um, and we are much more sure, Paul wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians, Ephesians may have been uh, uh, a disciple writing in his name, which was not uncommon in the ancient world. Um, and you can see the the correlations, you know, breastplate, helmet, salvation, um, and also has some faith that scattered in there. But it's actually not where the armor of God originates, even before First Thessalonians, in the intertestamental period, the hundred years before the common era, uh, before Jesus's uh, birth, um, they, the Book of Wisdom was written by a Greek Jew to inspire um, others 
to kind of return to the faith and rekindle their spirituality. And in Wisdom chapter 5, it's it may be in uh, uh, the apocryphal books of your Bible. The Protestants call them the apocryphal books. I think the Orthodox and possibly the Catholics call it like deuterocanonical. Um, so these are the books that are like reliable, but they're not, they didn't make the official canon. Um, Wisdom 5 verses 17 through 20 um, talks about uh, the same thing. And this is what it says in the NRSV. The Lord will take his zeal as his whole armor and will arm all creation to repel his enemies. He will put on the right, put on righteousness as a breastplate and wear impartial justice as a helmet. He will take holiness as an invincible shield and sharpen stern wrath for a sword and creation will join him to fight against his frenzied foes. So Wisdom 5 also has this armor of God. And you can see there's still a breastplate, a helmet, uh, the breastplate is righteousness, um, and the helmet is impartial justice. So there's some variation, but clearly helmet and breastplate are there. Um, the Book of Wisdom also has stern wrath for a sword. Um, just like Ephesians has a sword, he calls it the Word of, word of God. Um, the Book of Wisdom just says he has a sword and it's wrath. And so we see in First Thessalonians, he's taken, um, he's taken the armor of God and kind of softened its edges a little bit. Right after Paul mentions the breastplate of faith and love and the, hope, uh, the helmet of the, uh, of the hope of salvation, he continues, For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is a bit of... He's a positive thinking person. Um, and I say that smiling because that's what I mean. Like there's there's the Mark Driscoll types where wrath is much more defining feature for them. And I actually think that's not necessar- necessarily unbiblical. Uh, it's what we do with our anger that's a problem. But um, he takes from wisdom this sword of wrath and pulls it away. Not only is there no sword in Thessalonians, he says, God has destined us not for wrath. And then later, Paul or one of his followers, devoted followers, calls the sword the word of God um, and makes it very clear that, look, this is, this is, this is Jesus' doing um, and uh, wrath is still gone, but the sword is entirely reimagined. Um, and so you can see the development over time. Um, the intertestamental period is still Roman, however, and those who think the armor of God is inspired by Roman military equipment might still hold fast to that idea. Um, but the earliest um, appearance of the armor of God actually happens in Isaiah chapter 59. And Isaiah um, uh, was written... After the return, or this portion of Isaiah, there's three major parts to Isaiah. And uh, verse, I want to say 46 through the end, 66, um, is written after the return from exile, after the king of Persia has helped them return to the land, and they're now trying to reestablish themselves um, and 
uh, Isaiah 59:17 mentions the Lord putting on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in, a, in fury as in a mantle. And so you see in the earliest appearance, there's even more anger language, vengeance, fury. Um, there is no sword, but there is vengeance and fury. And so the nonviolence weighed against the, the anger um, piece in this motif is really finely tuned. So Isaiah's got an angry God, but he doesn't have a sword. He only has uh, defenses, de- defensive weapons and clothing, right? A helmet, a breastplate, clothing, and a mantle, which is basically a cape, like an outer garment. Um, then wisdom takes that a little bit farther with the sword of wrath, you know, which is an offensive weapon, um, but tones down maybe slightly. You could argue the mention... The single mention of wrath is kind of taking it down from the two mentions of vengeance and fury. And then Paul, in the very first uh, article or, or whatever in the New Testament, the earliest piece of writing that now appears in the New Testament, he uses this same motif. And he says, let us be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation, and takes away the wrath of wisdom, from wisdom, the sword of wrath, before many years later in Ephesians, probably 10 to 12 years later, it's toned down even more, or, you know, not not even more. It's finessed even more to add more items and return the sword, but to make it the word of God, that Jesus himself is the sword. And so this armor of God um, is obviously of interest to um, Christian soldiers, um, that there is an offensive weapon, but it belongs to God, and it, in fact, is God. Um, but the armor is an uh, issue that we are given, that we are encouraged to use, um, and they have these particular characteristics, right? So um, salvation, justice, righteousness, faith and love, holiness, the shield of holiness from wisdom, the belt of truth, um, even uh, if we're being honest with our own tradition, even fury, vengeance, and wrath to a certain degree. Um, and so this, what it, this is what Jesus, as the divine warrior, wears into battle. Um, and it's what we are called to um, employ. Um, the sword being the word of God, which might be wrathful, um, and we might be wrathful and, and angry and furious, um, but we have to remember that vengeance is saved for God. Um, in Isaiah, it is God who puts on fury as a mantle and vengeance for clothing, not us. Um, when Paul reminds the people of Thessal- the Christians of Thessalonica, um, again, and uh, and the the Christians of Ephesus, you know, the the offensive weapons do not belong to us. Uh, in Ephesians, he mentions the the sword of truth, which is the word of God, um, or not the sword of truth, but the, the word of God. Um, those don't they don't belong to us; they aren't ours to wield. Um, and so, this um, openness to anger and frustration and uh, indignation at what's going on 
is not outside the Christian purview, but violence, the deliberate attempt to hurt someone, is uh, outside of our of our control, um, unless we want to take on, you know, the the you know being God and put on all these ourselves and wield our our own sword or ourselves as a sword. Um, it is at that point that we have stepped into the place of God and become ourselves an idol um, and have replaced God with ourselves um, and we would need to repent. Um, but don't make any mistake that the armor of God is 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 there. It's, it's a thing that's important for us to think about as Christian soldiers um, and it has a tradition that goes back uh, Isaiah was written something like 400 years before the Book of Wisdom, um, so uh, almost 3,000 years, uh, upper ends of 2,000 years. Um, that this is part and parcel to our traditions and our Scripture and our understanding of the faith, uh, and it's important to look at them clear-eyed and understand what they might be telling us um, from hundreds and thousands of years in in our history. What we might, you know, take for them today, we have to be careful not to overstep uh, what it is that God has given us and what it is that God has reserved for God's self. Prayer for those in the armed forces of our country, from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, we commend to your gracious care and keeping all the men and women of our armed forces at home and abroad. Defend them day by day with your heavenly grace. Strengthen them in their trials and temptations. Give them courage to face the perils which beset them, and grant them a sense of your abiding presence wherever they may be. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with pewpewhq in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.